Chapter 20 of The Amethyst Cross. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Amethyst Crossed by Fergus Hume. Chapter 20 Journey's End and Lover's Meeting. Ordinarily speaking, Lesbia would have anxiously awaited the conclusion of Mrs. Walker's out of door interview with her father but when she saw them stroll away into the moonlight she suddenly remembered that george was waiting in the garden to explain probably the interview asked by mrs walker had merely been an excuse to get hale out of the way so that he might not interrupt the lovers meeting as he assuredly would do if left to his own marplot devices lesbia therefore saw that it was foolish to waste the golden hour when it had been so propitiously brought about closing the front door she ran rapidly along the passage into the garden and sped lightly down the grass-grown path in another minute she was under the tree and in george's arms the night was lovely with moonlight and radiant with stars in the neglected garden roses red and white and yellow breathed fragrance into the still warm air of summer there was not a breath of wind and the ripples on the broad river were only formed by the smoothly flowing current it murmured softly between the green banks and was an accompaniment to the occasional song of the nightingales which spoke one to the other in the garden and across the river at the dawn of love the blackbird had fluted his song of joy when the sky was blue and the sunshine was glorious now the sleeping world was bathed mysteriously in silver under a starry dome and the nightingale sang a diviner song through much sorrow had they come to a better understanding of love and the liquid notes of the immortal bird alone could interpret the nobler feelings which trouble had begotten in george's arms lay lesbia safe at last in the haven of love and the night sent upon them a benediction in the song of the bird but you have been very very cruel said lesbia softly womanlike she was the first to find her tongue i might to say the same of you dear whispered george sitting down and gathering her closer in his arms but neither of us was cruel circumstances are to blame lesbia knowing that there was no period to the golden hour now that her father was out of the way settled herself comfortably for a long talk she had much to tell and much to ask and before the rapture of love's silence could be renewed there was much to explain i know that i behave very badly she whispered penitentially but i could not help it unless i had broken our engagement my father told me that maud ellis would denounce you as a thief i understand dearest but you did not believe that i was guilty no lesbia pressed her cheek against his of course i didn't but if i had not been cruel i should not have been kind i could not risk maud's accusing you publicly but perhaps added the girl hopefully she would not have done so and i was weak to be so conjoled by her and my father i think you acted wisely said george after a pause maud led me into a trap and certainly would not have let me out again until i agreed to marry her or at least until you gave me up you did so and she was content for the time being she could part us my sweet but she could not make me false to you i knew it in spite of your cruel letter it was as cruel as yours lesbia so we can cry quits on that score i know that you learned the truth through canning 
He explained to me and spoke very gratefully of your kindness to him in his illness. How did you meet him, George? He met me, that is, he wrote to me at Medmenham, asking me to see him in the city, as he has something important to tell me. We met in a Mecca. A Mecca? One of those underground coffee rooms in London City, dear. There Canning, or rather Sergeant, as he really is, explained. He told you who he was? Yes, and he told me also that Tate was connected with a gang of thieves, two members of which had robbed Tate's strong room with his connivance. Tate thus got the insurance money in addition to the jewels which he sold on the continent. He made about forty thousand pounds over the deal, and after paying his accomplices, had enough left to avert a financial crisis, which was the reason for the robbery. Did you know that my father was a thief? asked Lesbia, shuddering. Of course not. I thought you did know, and for that reason had thrown me over. Lesbia, George said vehemently, and pressed her so strongly to his breast that she almost cried out with the delicious pain. How can you think so meanly of me? Were you the daughter of a murderer, I should marry you. It is you whom I love, my dearest, and not all the fathers and crimes in the world will ever separate us. Yet something parted us for a time. Your letter. That at first acknowledged Lesbia, sighing at the memory of what she had been forced to write. Then yours, oh, George, when I made it plain that Maud, the horrid girl, could do nothing, why didn't you come back to me? Because Maud was too clever. Finding out that she could not accuse me, since Canning could prove my innocence, Maud played a bold game and told me that your father had robbed Tate's strong room. She swore that if I did not write to you, as you had written to me, she would denounce Mr. Hale and have him put in prison. Lesbia, George suddenly slipped from the seat and knelt at the girl's feet, holding her hands tightly. What could I do in the circumstances but write as Maud dictated? I did not dare to let her bring this shame on you. But you could have explained your reason? No, dear, no. Maud was too smart for that. She insisted that I should give no explanation, hoping that out of pique you would throw me over and marry Sargent as your father desired. He was in on the plot also. I had to let things stand, as I was helpless, but I trusted that your heart would guess the truth. I was always true to you. I have always been. But you, no doubt, thought me false from that letter, as I thought you heartless from the way in which you wrote. Now I can see, you can see, that neither of us is to blame. We were the sport of circumstances. Lesbia bent and kissed his yellow hair. I understand now, she said softly, but, oh, George, how could Maud Ellis or my father think that I would marry Captain Sargent? A mere apology for a man, and hardly that even. They hoped to work on your feelings, to wear you out, my dear. But had you become engaged to that dandy scoundrel, I should have stopped any possible marriage by denouncing Sargent as a member of Tate's gang. Is he George? asked Lesbia quickly, and she remembered what Mrs. Walker had said in the drawing-room. Yes, Canning, his brother, you know, did not tell me everything, but he revealed a great deal. Sargent is in society and poses as a man of good family living on his fortune. He is well-born, but he has no money save what he obtains by theft. Lesbia shuddered. How horrible! How sordid! And my father! Her voice sank. He is in the swim also. So are Maud Ellis and Tate. Indeed, I believe that Tate is the head of the whole infernal business, but that I knew your father was in with the lot, 
and that I wish to spare you. I would have gone to the police at once. <gasps> Lesbia's tears dropped on her lover's head. How dreadful it all is. George knelt before her and drew her head down on his shoulder. There, there, dear, he said, gently drying her eyes. Don't worry. We'll be married soon, and then you will be taken away from this terrible life. Tim also, murmured Lesbia tearfully. I can't leave Tim behind. Of course he'll come, too, said George cheerily. I don't believe that he knew anything of the rascality that was going on. I think he did, said Lesbia doubtfully. Not that he is wicked himself, but he knew, and I believe held his dear tongue for my sake. Tim would do anything for you, darling, in the same way as Canning would. Poor Mr. Canning, uh, I mean Mr. Sargent. No, don't call him by his real name. He wishes to be known simply as Canning, the shadow. He belongs to the gang, and so does that Mrs. Petty, who was set to watch you. A dreadful woman, said Lesbia, nestling. How I disliked her. But I am sorry that Mr. Canning is wicked, George. He has been so kind. Kindness begets kindness, said Walker sententiously. And I don't think Canning is so very wicked. He has been unlucky all his life and drifted from bad to worse until he took to smoking opium. That finished him, and he was on the streets when his brother, who always kept his head in spite of his silly looks, took him up and made him his servant. Canning does a lot of the dirty work of the gang and did not denounce him as he would only be thrown again onto the world. Also, the gang would certainly do him harm if the fact of his betraying them became known. And it is known, George, I am sure of it because Mr. Canning told me to mention his name to Maud Ellis. If she is a member of the gang, she must have told the rest about the betrayal. I dare say that is why Canning went into hiding, said George thoughtfully. However, all we can do is leave him to deal with the matter. For your sake, I can say nothing since your father... George! Lesbia sat up and placed her hands on his shoulders as he knelt at her feet. Your mother told me that you were going to see Lord Charvington tomorrow. Walker nodded. It is true, though I don't know what he wishes to see me about. I don't know him. I never met him. I have met him, and I know him, said Lesbie eagerly. And he is the kindest and best man in the world. He wants to help us, George, and to give you something to do so that we may marry. Now you must ask him to advance you money to go to Australia or Canada. And we can marry before we go. Then we can start a new life. I suggested something of that sort to my mother, but she was adverse from leaving England. Still, she may change her mind. She must, and she can come also, said Lesbia vehemently. Oh, George, don't you see that I cannot remain in England? Even if my father escapes this time, as he will, because Lord Charrington is so kind, he is sure to be found out some day. Then think of the disgrace. I should always be unhappy thinking of what might happen. No, George, if you love me, let us marry and place the ocean between this miserable old life and the happy new one which we are sure to have together. Say yes, dear George, say yes. I do, I do. I think your idea is excellent, and you must persuade my mother to act in this way. Tomorrow I shall suggest our plan to Lord Charvington. I dare say he will give us enough to go away with, and then I should soon earn enough to pay him back. Yes, dear. George rose, looking tall and stalwart in the moonlight. We shall begin a new life together and leave all this wickedness behind us. 
Lesbia rose also and clung to her tall lover like an ivy to an oak. I believe that everything will come right at last, she declared joyfully, as Tim says it will. Only he added that the cross began it, and the cross must end it, whatever that may mean. George shook his head. I can't explain the cross, he said doubtfully. It is all very mysterious. Lord Sharvington had it in his possession, according to his wife, and yet I cannot think that Sharvington would commit a burglary. He, George smiled broadly, cannot possibly belong to the gang. However, it was stolen with the jewels, so your father... He has not got it, George. He told your mother that he had not got it. Then either your father or Lady Charvington is telling a lie. However, I shall learn the truth when I see him tomorrow. And now, dear, you must go in as it grows late. No, said Lesbia petulantly. I have to wait here until your mother comes to us. She went out to talk with my father. George, she added after a pause, I wonder what your mother knows about my father. Nothing very good, you may be certain, said Walker grimly. She must know him as a very clever rogue. By the way, Lesbia, do you know how your father and Sergeant escaped discovery when they robbed Tate's strong room? Was Captain Sergeant the other thief? said Lesbia, shivering at the horrible sound of the word. Yes, he and your father arranged with Tate. Maud knew of the arrangement and used it to inveigle me into a trap. Her chloroform business was all a fake, if you will forgive the slang. Tate gave the key, and the two simply opened the strong room and cleared with the jewels. When I pursued them, they dodged into the wood around the house, and then entered the house again by a door which they had left open. Then, after putting away the jewels in Tate's own private room, they came down and joined the other guests in the search. Very clever of them, wasn't it, dear? Oh, don't, don't, cried Lesbia, catching his hand and looking white and wan. It's so terrible to think that my own father should do this. Why have I such a father? She asked, raising her eyes in despair to the moon. What have I done to have such a father? Hush, hush, dear. George pressed her to him. Think no more of him. He is not worthy of you. He was never affectionate to me, sobbed Lesbia, whose nerves were quite unstrung as might have been expected after what she had undergone. We never understood each other. I was never drawn to him. Why? Oh, why? George caught the hands she was wringing firmly in his warm, kind clasp. My dearest, listen to me, he said softly. You have been unhappy in the past, but you shall be happy in the future. Let your father fade out of your life and come with me to the land of love. It is said that a woman shall forsake her parents and cling to her husband. So, said George, drawing himself up, you are mine forever, and when we are married it will be my delight to make you perfectly happy. Ah, yes, but the shadow of the past will ever remain. After all, he is my father. I can't do away with that. And she continued to sob. The young man could only press her to his distressed heart and smooth her hair. After all, what could he say in the face of facts? Wicked and cold and hard and cruel as the man was, Hale undoubtedly was the girl's father, and nothing could do away with the painful fact. But for that relationship, George would have throttled Hale or would have thrown him into the river. But as it was, he could do nothing. 
He could not even comfort his dear love, who lay sobbing in his arms. The nightingale still sang on, the stars still twinkled like jewels, and the moon still poured floods of white light down on the sleeping earth. But the magical glory of the scene was darkened to the lovers because of the evil of those around them. Yet, and Lesbia learned the lesson afterwards, out of sorrow comes joy, and the way of love is the way of the cross. Something like this came into the young man's mind. Remember the motto of the Amethyst Cross, he whispered, refuse and lose. We cannot understand why we are so afflicted, but we must bear the cross if we are to win the crown. And, after all, dear, you should be sorry as I am for your father. He is reaping much grief and pain for his sowing. Lesbia sighed and placed her arms round George's neck. Yes, she said in a weary manner. The cross is heavy, but we must bear it. I am sure that in the end all will come right. Tim said so, and so did Lord Charvington. Down the pathway came Mrs. Walker, looking tall and stately and stern in her dark robes. Her face was set and white, and strange and so hard a woman, she looked as though she had been weeping. Lesbia, she said softly, come back to the cottage and go to bed. But my father is there, sobbed the girl, and you promised to take me to Medmanham. Your father has left the cottage for a time at least, said Mrs. Walker, gently disengaging the girl from her son's arms. You will be alone with Tim, and he will look after you until we see how things turn out. How did you induce Mr. Hale to go, mother? asked George, looking troubled. That is not for you to know at present, she said sternly. I had an interview with him, a private interview, she added with emphasis, and he saw that it was best to leave for a time. Rest in peace, my child, she said, kissing Lesbia's brow. You are safe now, and can come to no harm. Be brave as you have been. For a little time longer, all will end well. George, said Lesbia, stretching her arms like a weary child. Dearest, the young man kissed her and gave her into his mother's charge. So the two women passed into the cottage while he watched them sadly. Sorrow had not yet done her work. End of chapter 20